for Oaks Property Schoolyard Sports Studio. Here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broadus. All right. Thank you, Buzz Adams. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to the program. Here on Sports Talk, he's Adrian. I'm Steve. Together we come your way on 600 ESPN El Paso. 505-6009. That's our telephone number. 505-6009. You can also connect to us on social media. On Facebook, we are at 600 ESPN El Paso. On Twitter or X, whatever you prefer, at 600 ESPN El Paso. That's what I've decided, Adrian. I'm not going with one or the other. I'm going with both. That way, if you like Twitter, we keep it Twitter. If you like X, we'll call it X. So this way, to me now, it has two names, Twitter and X. And now you've got your choice. We are still at 600 ESPN El Paso. We are still not verified because our radio station will not spend the $8 a month to be verified. That is for sure. Um, but we were verified. Adrian used to be. So was I. And so were the radio stations back years ago. That's just not the case anymore. Or you can message us on our mobile app um, powered by First American Bank. Those are the ways. The easy ways to get right on in and through to the program. Going to be a good show today. Actually, it's going to be a good show every day. But today, you know, come on. We're, we're, uh, we're loading it up. In fact, look what we have for you. Oh, my God. We've got Adam Teicher at 420 to talk Chiefs football. We have Jeff Erickson at 520 to talk uh, fantasy sports. We have um, El Paso Locomotive FC at 6. They're going to drop by to promote the big matchup on Saturday against Indy 11. And at 615, Tim Haggerty is going to join us on the show. And then we have the Chihuahuas and the Albuquerque Isotopes at 630. So that's a busy, busy lineup here on 600 ESPN El Paso. I watched Hard Knocks last night. Um, actually, I watched it this morning. I think I, I recorded it last night. I watched it before I came into the station today. Um, and I felt like this was a, uh, a better episode than the first one. I mean, the first one was all about Aaron Rodgers. Let's be honest. It really was. This is more about the team. Um, Robert Sala making a pretty impassioned speech. To his uh, ripping his offensive line was something that that's all anybody's been talking about today on the national uh, sports scene, Adrian, because everybody kind of thought that Robert Sala is not the kind of person that would rip into anybody, let alone his own offensive line. But uh, he tore into him pretty good yesterday on the show, which featured the uh, practices against Carolina. It featured the, the, the preseason game. And for the second week in a row, no Dalvin Cook mentions whatsoever on Hard Knocks. That's right. Uh, yesterday, my takeaways included Aaron Rodgers loving grass. Uh, and I'm talking yes. about the field turf, not the other kind of grass. Uh, I also thought that the Aaron Rodgers, when he goes up to his former coach and calls him a fat bleep, was hilarious. I, I couldn't stop laughing there. Uh, the magic show, or I don't even know if you call it a magic show, whatever you call that uh, that thing that happened early the on. The mentalist. The mentalist. Oh, I, yeah. You know what, Steve? I think every football uh, organization to, should hire one of those mentalists as like a defensive coordinator, and maybe they can predict all the plays that the, op- mm. the opposing team will be running against them because like that it. guy predicted everything. He was awesome. Uh, Quinnen and Williams, he was probably was my favorite story from last night. Loved uh, 
loved him. I'm going to be rooting for him all season long. Uh, you know, he got paid over the offseason. That was a big story for him. And so I'm really fired up for Quinnen and Williams. And it was you're right, it was a good episode yesterday. So they've got to keep everybody intrigued. There's got to be some more drama, I think, that goes on. I think that it'll naturally come their way. I think drama will come to the New York Jets just because they're simply the Jets. Yeah, not only that, just because of what they have now on the team, I think that's also going to be what what really makes this a uh, you know a, a pretty interesting season. Let's be honest, all that all that talent they're so loaded, but the offensive line is still scary today. Apparently, against the Bucks in another one of these practices, the Bucks sacked Aaron Rodgers like six times. Now, three of their five starters were not playing in today's scrimmage so on the offensive line. So the Jets are kind of putting a makeshift offensive line together, but still not getting it done, which uh, is definitely prompting some concerns. Rich Samini pointed out the six sacks, and everybody's talking about how that offensive line, no matter what the Jets look like, uh, talent-wise, a quarterback, running backs, and receivers, hey, and defense, if your offensive line's not good enough, then guess what? Number eight could be on his back or worse injured, and that could be a disaster uh, for the Jets. You know, I'll just commend Aaron Rodgers real quick because what Hard Knocks is showing, and, and again, it's just Hard Knocks, right? But what I'm seeing so far is Aaron Rodgers is a great teammate. Like, he's he's the number one guy to give you a hug on the sideline, first off. He gives everybody a bro hug, and it seems like he's best friends with everybody on the team and the opposing teams. Like, all the opposing players mm-hmm. love him just as much. And so, when you have that kind of culture and Aaron Rodgers is telling reporters after practice that he's not concerned, it tells me that he trusts and he has patience for the long haul. It's not about overreacting and getting too down early on. I mean, we're talking about August football right here. We're talking about joint practices. And yeah, you're supposed to see some glaring positions where you're not your strongest on your team. That's what training camp is for, to rectify those problems, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and to play the long game. This is a long season. It goes all the way to February for some of those who are lucky so for Aaron Rodgers to have that kind of patience you know I've actually been really impressed with him uh this entire offseason yeah I mean he's he's definitely showed a side that people didn't realize even existed but just remember this the Jets have full creative control over hard knocks right that's why I said you know it's hard knocks they make in other words if there's something that they didn't like they will make sure it is not put into the episode it will remain on the cutting room floor which means Robert Sala wanted that speech to his offensive line to be out there. And I think part of that is he wants the perception that, you know, he's a soft guy and not an alpha male to be reversed and figured, well, if if they show him tearing into his offensive line after a practice, that will actually show people that, you know what, he really is the head coach of this football team. Yeah, and the creative control also goes to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, there's probably a lot of things that they're trying to get in that Aaron is saying, hey, no, 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 don't put that in there and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. he's, he's he has the creative control as well. It's not just the coaches, not just the front office. It's also the players. But I'm enjoying it. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, uh, it, it's, it's been fun so far. And, you know, it's, it's at least uh, for the Jets, um, you know, you're getting a chance to see a little bit more into the personnel and the – um, the behaviors of this football team. And that's that's what's kind of interesting. I'll tell you something else. That first-round draft pick of theirs, he looks like an absolute rush machine. Now, again, it's preseason, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Preseason means nothing. You cannot uh, really look at this and say, yeah, that's tell us a lot. But Will McDonald the fourth, 
who's wearing number 99 from Iowa State, looks like the kind of guy that is going to do exactly what the Jets envision him to do, and that is use that high motor and get after the quarterback. Yeah, I like him. He's he's rushing the passer a lot. Kind of reminds me of how the Cowboys in year one of his rookie season used Micah Parsons. Now, he, he has more of a uh, pass-stopping presence to his game. Will McDonald the fourth does. So he, it'll be interesting to see how they utilize him in the system. Remember, Robert Sala was uh, largely credited for building that dominant uh, San Francisco 49ers defense and you know along with D'Amico Ryans and other people like that so he will emphasize defense uh, as his highest priority for this Jets team now it kind of felt like conversely uh, when you look at the offense Steve from yesterday at least it felt like Aaron Rodgers was doing a lot of the coaching and getting everybody pumped up it did I mean but I feel like that's the way we've seen it so far on uh, on on hard knocks it almost seems like that's the perception that you know we're taking away from this whole thing is that yeah, Rodgers is very involved, very involved, and at least for now, seems like he's actually having a good time, which is nice to see. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy about that. Um, I'll tell you something else. Another guy that's been bawling out on this show is Jermaine Johnson, their second-year linebacker. He was a first-round pick last year from Florida State. Didn't do much at all his rookie season, but I am hoping, hoping, that we will see some good things from uh, one Jermaine Johnson here uh, in season number two. So it's another good takeaway from uh, the show yesterday and and what we've seen so far as far as the uh, you know the the hard knocks profile of uh, the New York Jets. So we'll uh, talk to Adam Teicher coming up here in less than ten minutes. We'll get his thoughts on the defending Super Bowl champs, what he's seen so far from Kansas City. That is also something I'm very excited about on the program today. But first, let's go to Gator Richard. He joins us here to kick things off on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Gator, what's going on? Go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, okay, I I know you guys had your take on the uh, Michael Orr thing last week. Was it last week? It hadn't been last week. No, it was was yesterday on the show. Yeah, we we, we talked about it yesterday. Okay, and what was your take that Michael or Michael Orr needs to get paid and was wrong and all that, right? I mean, I don't know. My my take was he made $35 million during his career, which is not chump change. Um, but if the accusations are really true and he thought he was getting adopted and it turned into a, con- a you know, a conservatorship that he really didn't realize the the, the full implications up until now uh and and all of a sudden wants to change things, that that's pretty messed up. Okay, now did you hear any of the follow-up story to that? I did. I heard. I heard the family and what they said and their version of it. So, it's a mess. It's a. It's a. It's a complete. He said, she said. At this point in time, right now, and it's hard to say which one is really. Uh, you know, wh- which one is is really valid. We don't. We don't know. Well, I. I think I know. So that was my take. Here's my take. Michael Orr has a book out right now, right? Hmm. Okay, so drumming up interest, you know, sell copies. Even 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 bad publicity is still publicity, right? Let's buy his book and find out what he's saying. Okay, so he he actually filed that lawsuit after the family refused to pay him fifteen million, like as his as his cut, see, which 
kind of hokey, you know. And, and he's a grown man, and he he was a, a professional football player when that movie came out. It, you you mean to tell me his agent? He didn't he didn't ask. He didn't have an attorney. Nobody would raise their hand for this grown man and say, "Hey, where's my cut?" As Tony Soprano would say, "Where's my taste?" Right. It, I mean, I question all this as like some kind of publicity stunt. But then again, he filed some kind of lawsuit saying that he wants he wants his money from these people and and that you know he was tricked. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean the biggest just, thing is this: he wants to. He said he wanted to be adopted. Um, uh, Sean Tui claims that the lawyers told them they couldn't adopt over the age of 18, but then a uh, Knoxville family attorney who's been practicing for 19 years told ESPN that the Tuies could have adopted him. So, seriously, like, if you really wanted to be adopted and one lawyer said no to you, you're telling me you would have just stopped it down or you wouldn't have just tried to make sure that, that the process uh, couldn't work out where you could adopt them. And, and, you know, the family claims the only thing they could do was the conservatorship, not the adoption. That sounds a little fishy, if you ask me. Well, true, but who, want, who really wants – I mean, at 18, he's an adult. See what I mean? Yeah, so but I'm, I mean, I, I get it. But if he really wanted to be adopted by the family, and the family wanted to adopt him, you're telling me they wouldn't have been able to figure out a way to do that. Well, you honestly? know, when I when I first saw that movie, okay, Sandra Bullock, yeah, you know, I I liked it, okay, and I still like the movie. Hell, I'll if I'm flipping through the channels and I see it, I may I might catch a few more minutes of it. I might watch finish watching the whole thing, but. I'm I'm here to tell you, man. This this thing with Michael Orr, I think he's just looking for another big payday. Maybe his book didn't take off the way he thought. Well, again, he made thirty five million dollars during his playing career. It's not exactly like uh, he he made minimum wage in the NFL. He had a long career, made a lot of money, and if he took care of his money, he should already be pretty well off. I mean, listen, if I've already accomplished uh, thirty five million dollars by the time I'm Orr's age, which would be, I believe, late thirties, I feel like I would be uh, sitting pretty right now. You know, I mean, unless he didn't manage it well, like That's, a Mike Tyson or something. You never know. That could be the case, too. Very possible. Richard, thanks for the call. Adrian, give me your take before we go to break. Yeah, I just think that there's a lot more to the story that we don't know, and I also think that he probably just wants to rid his name. And Maybe there's a financial implication by this, but he probably just wants to clear his name around all of the family. If this is really impacting him, it's probably why he wants this uh, decision, or that, the, the decision to actually take this to court. Yeah, I'm with you. But if they do have text messages from Orr saying that if you didn't give me $15 million, I would go public with it, that seems awfully uh, – that's that's extortion. Yeah, it's slimy stuff too. Yeah, it is. All right. Hey, we got a lot more in store for you, including Adam Teicher. He'll join us next, talk a little Chiefs football. It's going to be a busy one on this Wednesday. Let's send it off to Charlie One and get our first traffic update of the afternoon. Twenty-one past the hour as sports talk continues. He's Adrian Bradas. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We take our tour around the National Football League training camp and say hello to uh, one of our old favorites, Adam Teicher. He is uh, the ESPN.com correspondent for the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, he's been doing that for a very, very long time. And he's back with us uh, here on the show. Well, hard to believe. That we are now in the middle of August, Adam. 
football season is right around the corner. We've already had a uh, the first week of the uh, preseason, and uh, you are back uh, right where I'm sure you want to be, covering the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the defending Super Bowl champs. Absolutely. And, uh, Steve, how's it going in El Paso? Um, how are you guys doing today? We're doing all right. We're excited about UTEP season starting. As you can imagine, your your brother's pretty excited. We've seen him a lot over the last few weeks, and uh, I think uh, still uh, a lot of optimism with uh, with UTEP football this season. That's a good thing. Uh, I always root for the Miners and hope uh, this is their year. Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, I know the Miner fans would love to see just a little of that Kansas City Chiefs luck rub off on them for once. I mean, it would be kind of nice if we could have uh, a magical season or two uh, start coming together for this UTEP team. Yeah, maybe uh, Pat Mahomes is one of his kids will go to UTEP and play quarterback and uh, uh, be kind of what uh, what uh, Mahomes has been for the Chiefs, maybe for UTEP. So uh, we'll see. How do the uh, Mahomes? How do the Mahomes kids look right now? Give me a give me an early scouting report on some of the little ones, and uh, if we could try to project in the next uh, fifteen to sixteen years or so what uh, what they could uh, turn into. <laughs> yeah, I I would not bet against them uh, after seeing what their dad uh, is does on a football field. I mean, he's had a great camp up here. Um, it's it truly is amazing. Um, I would agree with that completely. And looking at uh, how the team addressed uh, their draft, picking up uh, Rasheed Rice uh, in the second round, another um, you know weapon for Mahomes this season. They went offensive tackle in the third round. They went defensive end in the first round. So uh, to me, you know, when you're a team like this and everybody's gunning for you, you want to try to keep your edge. And is that something that um, head coach Andy Reid really needs to worry about uh, in training camp? Well, sure. I mean, uh, you know, now that they're defending Super Bowl champs, um, you know, that, that's always a concern. But, um, you know, they, they've seemed to be pretty locked in on, on becoming the first team to repeat as champs uh, in 20 years. That's a big deal for them. Um, we'll see if they can get it done or not. But that seems to be a pretty good carrot for them right now. What about some of the second-year guys who you feel like could take a step forward uh, in year two? George Karloftis came on nicely in his first year, the defensive end, but you look at also Sky Moore. Uh, as the season finished out, he was really shining for the Chiefs as well. Who do you like as far as second-year guys? Yeah, they have a corner named Trent McDuffie, one of their first-round picks uh, from last year. McDuffie, uh, I think, is ready to take a step and uh, you know become uh, one of the top corners in the league. So, uh, you know, he's there. You know, Sky Moore. I, I think if you if I had to predict right now, I think he'll lead the Chiefs wide receivers in catches this year. Um, you know, I think Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, will probably end up leading the team in catches. But uh, Sky Moore is going to get the ball a lot this year. So, uh, you know, that, that's a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Certainly, George Karloftis uh, uh, finished the year very strongly last year. Had a good camp. He's been fairly disruptive up here. So um, uh, those are three of the guys that I would certainly uh, keep an eye on. I like that. And by the way, you know, I know he's he's a little banged up right now, but that Kadarius Tony trade last year with the Giants was so sneaky good, wasn't it? I mean, you really look at the you know his value, his age, and what he could bring to the to that wide receiving room with Moore and uh, MVS. It, it, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, he's got a lot of 
Tyreek Hill's game in, in his own game, Kadarius Tony, is that, that change of direction that he puts his foot in the ground and can go a different direction. It's just amazing. Uh, you know, he's not quite as fast as Tyreek Hill, but certainly fast enough. So uh, he just needs to stay healthy. You know, he's had both of his first two NFL seasons interrupted by injury, and now um, you know he hasn't practiced at camp yet after uh, having a meniscus surgery. So the Chiefs still think he'll be back in time for the regular season, but we'll see. Um, but you, you're right. I mean, they, he was a good pickup, and you know the Chiefs had to give a couple draft picks to the Giants uh, at midseason last year for him. But I, you know, in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, when he scored that touchdown and then uh, ran that punt back 65 yards to set up another touchdown, you know, I, I tweeted this at the time that even if Kadarius Tony doesn't catch another pass for the Chiefs. Um, He's been worth the trade. He's been worth the draft picks. It was a good deal for the Chiefs. He's already paid off, helped them win a Super Bowl, And uh, but I think there's more to come. So uh, we'll see where it goes for him, but certainly a, a pretty big talent. Adam Teich, you're with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. You know, you look at the running game, Isaiah Pacheco, the veteran Jarek McKinnon. They still have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, a lot of depth there, and Pacheco, uh, I know, trying to – uh, really take off after a big first rookie season where he gained uh, you know 800 plus yards and five touchdowns. Are the Chiefs the kind of team that like to rely on one main running back, or do they like to try to throw two or three out there? No, they'll, they'll mix it up some, and and uh, you know that's kind of Andy Reid's way anyway. But you know it's a little bit different flavor with all these guys, and he likes throwing that at a defense. Uh, gives them more to prepare for, so. They'll always be that way. But this year, it's a little bit by necessity. Pacheco has not practiced fully yet. He's been out there every day, but he wears the uh, uh, yellow uh, injured jersey. Uh, He had hand and uh, shoulder surgery during the offseason. He's still rehabbing. Um, He has not been cleared for for contact yet. So he did not play in the game last weekend. He's not going to play in the game this weekend. So um, I, I don't know that he'll be full go when the regular season starts. So um, the Chiefs going to need that depth, and they've also got an undrafted rookie who I think is going to make the team by the name of Daenerys Prince. And uh, so uh, I, I think there might be some work for all four of these guys, at least early in the season until Pacheco gets up to speed. Adam, we're talking a lot of roster building and some of the younger guys in particular with the Chiefs. It's interesting to me that when I look at the roster, I see a lot of Texas ties, whether they played uh, in college at uh, at a Texas school or they had Texas roots from their hometown. I mean, this past year, you look at Stephen F. Austin, offensive or outside linebacker B.J. Thompson, Keandre Coburn, uh, the defensive tackle from Texas, or you know even Rice, who we just mentioned from SMU. And oh, by the way, they they're having a guy like Shane Bouchelle throw passes to him uh, through a lot of these preseason games. Do the scouting department, do they uh, prefer those Texas guys, or what's the Texas connection with this Chiefs team? Yeah, don't forget about Mahomes as a Texas guy as well. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's anything to that. I think it's more coincidence, but. Man, I'll say this: Texas turns out the quarterbacks. You know, uh, um, you know they they uh, th- that state does a real good job in uh, uh, providing quarterbacks to the NFL. I did a story on this uh, a couple of years ago when Mahomes was just getting started, and and the Chiefs had like a streak of like playing against five. I think it was five straight uh, Texas quarterbacks, guys like 
I don't know, I can't remember now. Andy Dalton was certainly one of them, and there were there were other ones as well. They they just had a streak of, of playing uh, Texas quarterbacks, and uh, um, you know, I talked to some of them about why they thought Texas turned out so many good quarterbacks, and they talked about the. The, the, the passing leagues in the summer and all that and the seven-on-seven, seven and, and they, they just feel like th- they have an advantage maybe down, down there uh, that that most other kids in other states don't have. So uh, I think there's something to it for the uh, for the uh, quarterbacks for sure. Now, uh, as, as far as the rest of the roster, probably more coincidence. More with Adam as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk. Let's get back, though, to Adrian standing by with this Sports Center update covers the Kansas City Chiefs for ESPN.com. And, oh, yeah, his brother happens to be the longtime voice of the UTEP Miners. It's a nice Teicher coincidence here between Kansas City and El Paso as we continue. You know, Adam, when we're long gone, there is going to be a terrific debate amongst Chiefs fans as to who the best tight end in the history of the franchise was. Was it Tony Gonzalez or Travis Kelsey? Because I know Tony's got a few extra years in KC on Kelsey, but the numbers that Travis has put up uh, have been amazing. And this franchise has arguably had two of the very best ever to play this position. Yeah, they have. Uh, You know, I think maybe it's a little bit of a recency bias, or maybe it's because Travis Kelsey has played now for two Super Bowl winning teams for the Chiefs and Tony Gonzalez never so much as won a playoff game in all of his years for the Chiefs. But I think most people would tell you that they would take Travis Kelsey over uh, Tony Gonzalez. He's certainly a more versatile player. Um, you can do more things uh, it, it, within a formation with Travis Kelsey. You can uh, send him down the field. He's just more versatile player than Tony Gonzalez was. So for all of Tony Gonzalez's catches and, and all he did for the Chiefs over the, the, his long career, uh, what, uh, 13 years maybe in Kansas City, uh, 12 or 13, it, it, it's, um, I don't believe it's really uh, matched all the things that Kelsey has done for the organization. No, you're right. I mean, Kelsey's had seven straight years of over 1,000 yards receiving, and it's not even close. Most of them are in the 1,300, 1,400-yard range. He's already had three seasons of 10-plus touchdowns, or and then he's had, what, nine uh, one other time. So 69 touchdowns uh, in the air. It's remarkable. And when you have uh, a, a weapon like Kelsey and a quarterback like Mahomes, it, it's magic. It's a magical run. And, you know, it, again, you're going to go back and look at this and call it one of the greatest uh, combinations ever in, in football when you deal with these two. Yeah, you are. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're kind of at the point now where they're they're always going to be linked, Mahomes and Kelsey. It's just like Brady and Gronk or Montana and Rice or, or you know, the, those the great passing combinations in NFL history. It's going to be them. And, uh, you know, the game was a little different for when, when Tony Gonzalez played for the Chiefs. It wasn't quite the, the passing league that it is now. And certainly um, Tony Gonzalez never played with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, most of his quarterbacks were uh, far inferior to Mahomes. But, uh, but still, I, I still think you know, most people would tell you that Kelsey is the more valuable player. 
Yeah, absolutely right. So we've gone through the offense right now. Adrian touched a little bit on defense earlier. If you had to pick a position that you have your biggest question mark on heading into the season for the Chiefs, what would that be? Well, I think it's their pass rush right now. You know, Chris Jones is not in camp, and and uh, you know that that's a big blow to their pass rush for sure. And you know, one of their big free agent additions, Charles Amenehue, has been suspended by the league for the first six games of the uh, season for violating the the league's uh, um, personal conduct policy. So they're right off the top. There's two of their now. No, Chris Jones could show up. But until he does, right off the top, you've got two of your top pass rushers not there. And, you know, the Chiefs did draft um, uh, Felix Anudike Uzama in the first round, but he's still getting up to speed. I, I don't know that he's going to be a real force, at least not early in the season. So, really, you know, the Chiefs have George Karloftis, Mike Danum, and they have some, some depth there, but uh, it's going to be tested, particularly if Chris Jones doesn't show up. So, uh it's going to be interesting to see where the Chiefs are headed, but right now I'd have to say their pass rush is a pretty big concern. Do you see Karlaftis as a pass rush kind of player, or is he more of that uh, typical guy that uh, you know will, will get his share of tackles and pressures, but maybe not going to register the kind of sacks like KC needs? Yeah, I don't know that he'll ever be a huge sack guy. Uh, you know, he, he gets a lot of his sacks through effort which is which is great you don't want to take that away from him he'll he'll get you'll get a few sacks that way but uh you know, he's more of a rep well-rounded player as opposed to a, um, a a guy with a lot of pass rush moves so you know he, he holds up well against the run he, he's just a good three down um, defensive end but he's never going to be a you know, uh, 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 a guy who stacks up big numbers at that position so um um, you know, that, that's a guy who's part of the solution, but maybe not uh, uh, a guy who can handle it all himself. A two-parter, Adam, as far as the offensive coordinator goes, Eric Bieniemy goes over to Washington. Were you surprised to hear that he's had some criticism about his philosophy of coaching so <laughs> far? And then the second part of that is, how is Matt Nagy doing as the new offensive coordinator so far? Yeah, I was surprised to hear that because everybody know that knows that's Eric Bieniemy's style. And, uh, I don't know how Ron Rivera didn't prepare his players for that. I don't know how he didn't call them into a meeting when Eric Bieniemy was hired and said, "Hey guys, this is our new offensive coordinator. We've been we haven't been very good as a team the last few years, and we've been terrible as an offense the last few years, and we're doing things a little different around here. This is the new sheriff. You need to do things his way. He's a little bit gruff. He can be very demanding, but it's going to make us a better team." How he didn't do that and get his players prepared for Eric Bieniemy is beyond me. So I think the whole thing has been handled poorly by uh, Ron Rivera and, and the, the, the whole situation out there. So, uh, yeah, I, I am kind of surprised because while he is a demanding and, and gruff and, and uh, can be difficult to deal with at times, he gets results. I mean, you, you have to like that. I mean, I've got players who have played for Eric Bieniemy who are just lining up to testify how much how they feel he made them a better player. Guys like Jamal Charles and uh, Adrian Peterson, they were together when uh, the enemy was with the Vikings. Before this was before he came to the Chiefs, they, they both swear on uh, Eric Bieniemy. And Tyreek Hill talks about how Ty, uh, Eric Bieniemy's made him a better player. And and Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's a pretty good list of guys. So. 
I, I find the whole situation really amusing out there. I think it's been handled both by the players and the coaching staff in Washington really poorly. And as far as Matt Nagy, you know, he's a former Chiefs offensive coordinator. He was the coordinator before um, uh, he went to the Bears to become their head coach. Uh, so he, he was with Mahomes when Mahomes was a rookie. So, um, you know, they, they know each other well. And, um, you know, it's one of those deals where uh, it's, it's really about as seamless of a change as the Chiefs could have. Meanwhile, the Chiefs last year had 14 regular season wins. The Chargers had 10, and then the Raiders and Broncos combined for 11. As you see the rest of this division right now, do you still see it as a two-team race between the Chiefs and Chargers? No, I mean, I, I, I'm interested in what's going on in Denver. Um, I, I'm curious to see what uh, Sean Payton can do with Russell Wilson. I, I think that's a pretty talented roster. I think they're better. The, the, the talent level there is better than what, they, what the record was last year. So, you know, given the right direction, I, I think that could be a team that climbs into the mix as well. So uh, I, I don't think they'll catch the Chiefs, but um, I, I think they'll be better as well. So, uh I, I can see this being kind of an interesting race with with all three teams, although I, I do like the Chiefs to win the division again. All right. So if there's one team you think that, that will struggle this year in the division, it's going to be the Vegas Raiders. That's my pick, absolutely. All right. Good stuff. Adam, always appreciate the time. Thanks for being so great with us, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to the next time we get to chat with you right back here on the show. Looking forward to it, guys. Take care. You too. He's Adam Teicher, and he joins us here on Sports Talk. 19 in front of 5. Plenty more coming up right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 10 in front of 5 as we continue here on Sports Talk. So there is a crazy story in the L.A. Times today from Jay Brady McCullough, who is a senior writer, and it's called Inside the Pac-12 Collapse, Four Surprising Moments That Crushed the Conference. Remember we told you a few uh, days back about how ESPN, even after USC and UCLA opted out, were going to still give them $30 million for a media rights deal without USC and UCLA. Um, that was ESPN's offer. Now, the Pac-12 had their analysis, and it said, according to the article, that the schools would be worth somewhere in the mid-30 range apiece. So they could go back to ESPN with a reasonable counter in the high $30 million range, and maybe the two sides would end up around $35 million. Listen to this. When the Pac-12 CEO group met to discuss the offer, one of the league presidents had other ideas. Man, I wish I knew which league president this is, because this will rank as one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my entire life. But here's what the story in the LA Times says today. The president, and, and I'm not making this up, worked with a professor on his campus to come up with their own estimate of what the 10 schools should get based on their market value. And that number was $50 million. Here's a quote. George and our media consultant were pretty clear there was some risk, but they said, nope, our numbers show we're worth this. Go ask for it. A source with direct knowledge of the negotiations, not authorized to speak publicly about them, told the Times. 
ESPN did not react very well to it. End quote. Yeah, I would say that's probably the way to go. In fact, what ESPN did was rather than give them a counteroffer, they just went out and shut it down completely. That was it. So, and I'll tell you what, whatever president did that, oh my God, and especially if the entire league is aware of who's responsible for that uh, for for that misplay, that's brutal. That is brutal because, yeah, I, I mean, had they stayed, had they just kept the thirty million with ESPN, the conference would still be intact with ten. We wouldn't be talking about this right now, Adrian. That's right. I mean, this seems like it was uh, so mishandled. They trusted the wrong people, Steve. They they really did. They sought advice from people that don't know what they're talking about when it comes to TV rights deals and negotiating things like that. That's why ESPN laughed at them going back because they were getting bad advice. This is a this is poor leadership by the Pac-12. So again, they only have themselves to blame for all of this, and a lot of this was pretty much uh, rooted in greed. This was a lot of greed behind uh, these movements right here. And by the way, Klyavkov is George. When I said George, that's what I meant. He's the Pac-12 commissioner. But that's a tough spot. That's almost when you when you hear something like that, I mean, I, I guess I guess the schools figured, you know what, we'll go in at 50, maybe we'll get 40. That's probably what they thought. They just didn't realize that ESPN would just completely get rid of the Pac-12 and move on to another conference. And ultimately, you know, they never got close to that from any reputable network after uh, they were after the uh, ESPN just laughed in their face uh, in December of last year. It's embarrassing right there from a Pac-12 perspective. That's why they need Oliver Luck at this point right now to step in and try to save this conference. How realistic is that? I don't think it's that realistic. I, I mean, they're, they're on life support right now as a conference. I, I don't really feel like there's much heartbeat here for the Pac-12. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Hey, one hour in the books as we continue here on Sports Talk. If you are in the middle of your fantasy football draft or getting ready for it and you've got questions, oh, we have answers. In fact, the answer man himself, uh, Jeff Erickson, is going to join us coming up in about 25 minutes from now. So stay with us. Sports Talk continues. Fantasy Focus, our subject matter, here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back. The El Paso Fire Department has dropped in. They're doing their annual fire inspection, checking all of our extinguishers out, making sure we're okay. I offered to put them on. I just said, if you guys, uh, you know, we've got a little time. If you want to come on and talk a little sports, I was told there's an Eagles fan in the group, but they uh, are not ready to uh, come on the show like I was hoping for. I was hoping they were just going to stop in and talk a little sports with us, but I don't know. That might not be the best if, uh, in fact, uh, you know, they're on the job and then all of a sudden the fire chief is listening to the radio show right now and they start to hear some of his employees uh, at the radio station talking uh, talking sports. That might not be necessarily the way to go, right? Yeah, especially if sports blurs into really controversial topics oh, like yeah. realignment and, they're uh, you know, one of their bosses is a fan of the Pac-12 or something like that and we're talking about how Pac-12 is pretty much dissolved at this point so yeah i i like it steve let's uh, steer from controversy but thanks to the firemen who are out here yeah i'm with you on that one it makes total sense um meanwhile 
15 minutes ago, Jeff Passan tweets out that Tampa Bay shortstop Wander Franco is being investigated by Dominican authorities and a division that focuses on minors slash gender violence. And a judge who's a child abuse specialist are handling the case, which is in its early stages, per the AP. Uh, This sounds like it's getting worse before it's getting any better. And that is a... That's a a troubling situation uh, involving uh, someone who is one of the young stars in the league and is only 22 years of age. But right now he's on the restricted list. He's out for at least six games. MLB is still investigating him following the social media post that questioned the nature of a relationship he was having with a younger woman. And now that the uh, prosecutor in the Dominican Republic says that the investigation into Wander is uh, being handled, um, it uh, sounds like, you know, again, uh, early stages. They're calling this a very delicate topic because there is a minor involved. And that prosecutors are gathering evidence and testimonies but did not provide details. They claim that next week... They might be able to give some of the nece- of the necessary information without hurting the investigation. Also, what's interesting to note is the prosecutor has had no contact with Major League Baseball executives or U.S. authorities about the case. So, um, you know, the Rays, by the way, they you, you don't have to pay players who are on the restricted list. You could withhold their money. But the Rays are continuing to pay Franco's $2 million salary while he's on the restricted list. So, um, you know, here's a guy who, in November of 2021, agreed to an 11-year, $182 million contract extension 70 games into his career. And by the way, that was a bargain when you look at the numbers he's putting together. 281 batting average, 17 home runs, 58 RBIs, 30 stolen bases. He made his first all-star team, had his whole career in front of him. And if they, if investigations prove that Wander was, in fact, uh, dating someone underage and did some, uh, you know, abusive things to her that could ultimately put him in jail for a very long time, this could be the end, and probably not could be, this will be the end of Wander Franco as a Major League Baseball player. Now, again, this is in its infancy. They still have to come up with, uh, you know, the investigation, and if the investigation is not able to give them anything concrete to pursue and Major League Baseball doesn't get, uh, their investigation comes up uh, with no real hard evidence, then Wander could end up uh, you know, still continuing his career and playing when it's all said and done. But right now, a lot of people are wondering, Adrian, if the Rays shortstop has, in fact, you know, played his last game for, uh, for a while, if not uh, forever. 
yeah, it could very well be the reality when it's all said and done. And just think about the recent uh, things that have gone on with the Rays. They placed rookie righty Kevin Kelly on the 15-day IL. He's got a left ankle sprain, so that's not good. Uh, we f- we hear officially, I mean, this was lingering for a while, but we hear officially that Shane McClanahan uh, scheduled to have Tommy John surgery Monday. We know how long that takes a player out, and McClanahan was killing it on the mound. Uh, Manny Margot undergoing a procedure. He has bone chips in his right elbow, and uh, he needs to undergo a procedure for that. And so we hear today uh, Franco officially out for uh, you know a little bit longer, and we're, we're hearing more, at least for the legal side of things, from the Dominican Republic. Not good at all if you're a Rays fan. No, not at all. And by the way, um, something else that's kind of interesting on this particular story, after, uh, after Jeff put out the tweet, um, Hector Gomez, who I follow, he is an MLB insider and always has really, really good stuff on his Twitter account, said that the Attorney General of the Dominican Republic says there is a complaint filed by a minor against Wander Franco. But, according to the Attorney General of the Dominican Republic, it's another young woman, not the one on social media. That's what Gomez said. He also went on to say that the case for Wander Franco is getting more and more complicated. According to a person very close to the investigation, more evidence against Franco continues to emerge. This is uh, uh, nothing short of unbelievable. Yeah, it's disgusting if it's true. And, uh, of course, Hector Gomez, just to give him some credibility, I mean, he's uh, somebody who's based in the Dominican Republic, uh, covers a lot of the international bat- baseball that we uh, talk about on a daily basis. So if there's anybody who's going to be on the ground with a little bit more knowledge on this story than others, it's him. Yep, he's good. He's really, really good. So, um, you know, if he's got that, and you're right, if there's anybody that's going to have more of the inside scoop into what's going on in the Dominican, it's going to be Gomez. So, yeah, that is uh, that is wild. Anyway, uh, and that's also the latest breaking news uh, here on Sports Talk. And, you know, right now it, it just uh, does not look good at all if uh, you're a fan of um, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays and baseball, because um, this is the kind of story that could easily end uh, his career and more than anything. And, uh, you know, his I mean, he'll spend years behind bars when it's all said and done. That's just uh, what it comes down to. Yeah, you think about of the dream that he had to play the sport of Major League Baseball and how this is how this could go away for decisions that he made in his own life. It's just uh, a real shame for everybody involved. Absolutely right. Um, this is interesting. Brett McMurphy just came out with this tweet, and you'll like this, folks. Condoleezza Rice, on behalf of Stanford, and George W. Bush on behalf of SMU, both contacted ACC officials to lobby for those schools to get an ACC invite. That is according to Pat Ford. Then McMurphy could not finish this tweet or uh, post without something snarky, and he decided to finish it by saying, no word if Marshawn Lynch is reaching out on Cal's behalf. 
Wouldn't that be hilarious, though? I mean, Marshawn would probably be the best uh, person to have a conversation with the ACC. Hey, just let him in. That's that's kind of his approach and what he would say. Uh, who's the Oregon State alumni that they need? And who's the Washington State alumni uh, who can lobby for the ACC? And this makes me think, Steve, can uh, El Paso get, like, Khalid or something like that to lobby the ACC to get um, UTEP in that conference or something like that now that we've got uh, all these names being dropped by Stanford and SMU? Power plays, right? Power yeah, plays. I think so. People with influence. That would be, uh, yeah. Movers and shakers. That's right. That, that could be the case. 12 past the hour here on Sports Talk. Uh, Fantasy Focus coming up with uh, Jeff Erickson from Rotowire here less than 10 minutes from now. And still excited about that and uh, looking forward to it. Um, meanwhile, you know, some of the other news uh, making headlines today. Um, this is also interesting. Vlatko Andonovsky has stepped down as manager of the U.S. women's national team following its World Cup exit, sources have confirmed to ESPN. And maybe we shouldn't be too surprised about that. Somebody had to be responsible for a very disappointing finish, and it turns out to be the manager. And usually it is. They're usually the scapegoat in all these kind of situations. And I think it will be fitting for them to have a new head coach in place for the next World Cup, knowing that they've got a bit of a transition that they need to go through as far as their roster. The younger talent, like we talked about, probably needs to rise and get more playing time next time around. And I think, uh, you know what, they, they do have a reason to be disappointed after their exit. Saw this story about Northwestern football today. And, um, you know, they've got an interim head coach in David Braun, who apparently is taking a very calculated um, approach with off-field activities this month while finding ways for players to bond and prepare for the season after, uh, as we all know, what has been such a turbulent summer. Let us listen in to the Northwestern uh, coach. That is, uh, once again, David Braun talking about what his team is doing right now uh, getting ready uh, for the start of the season. Hang on. Here we go. I'm to uh, go through extensive education when it comes to hazing, you know, as a team and as a staff. That education will continue, and uh, we're being we're being very mindful of uh, making sure that we find ways to allow this team to build and become cohesive and have fun in team meetings, you know, with music and, you know, making sure that this isn't an environment where it's it's just business. I mean, this team needs to come together. But uh, to answer your question directly, we are very calculated in the fact that um, we, we got to make sure that we move forward in the appropriate manner and take the education that we received and, and move forward appropriately. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you're UTEP and you're playing a game against Northwestern, uh, there will never be a better chance to try to go out and beat a team that has been dealing with sp- um, serious turmoil. And it's not exactly like Northwestern is a-, a top team in the Big Ten to begin with year after year. But you put all this on top of what has been such a uh, you know a tough go for this uh, program now with an interim coach and and no- zero expectations. I'm telling you, with UTEP coming into this game, uh, I-, I mean. You know, I don't want. They're not going to be favored 
But Adrian, if there was ever a chance to beat a Power 5 opponent, this is the one. Mark it on the calendar. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I feel like this, uh, first off, they've been depleted for their roster, having guys suspended left and right, or guys who just elected to be away from this team. Skip Holtz is their newest addition that they brought into the system. So my only reservation and hesitation about picking UTEP outright against Northwestern is the fact that they have somebody advising them in Skip Holtz who knows a lot about UTEP. He's coached against UTEP throughout his time at La Tech. Uh, he'll get uh, Northwestern prepared for that game against UTEP, just knowing what the Miners bring to the table. But the advantages that UTEP has in this one, I mean, it's early into the season. They might be rusty. UTEP will have a few games under their belt before playing Northwestern on the road. And yeah, you're right. If there was ever a year to beat uh, the Wildcats on the road, it's this year. You're right. Uh, I will say this, though. They do have a veteran quarterback in Ben Bryant who uh, threw for 21 touchdowns last year for Cincinnati. So it's not exactly like they've got a nobody under center. Yeah, he's a good quarterback. I, I just wonder the skill position players and everybody around him, also the defense. They they went through such a tumultuous offseason, and since they don't have Pat Fitzgerald, and since they've had coaches come into practice with like T-shirts in support of Pat's, uh, solo, uh, excuse me, Pat Fitzgerald throughout this whole process, I feel like it's just kind of a, a real tainted offseason going into the real season for Northwestern. Speaking of snarky, um, you know, with the – you brought up, um, you know, what's um, – Khalid to try to, yeah. um, you know, lobby on behalf of UTEP to, the, to another conference. J.D. Aziz uh, chimes in. How about having Mia Khalifa to lobby the ACC on behalf of the Miners? Ah, J.D.'s thinking outside the box. Hey, uh, Mia Khalifa, just, I mean, for people that don't know, yeah, she did spend time here in El Paso, went to UTEP, then, uh, you know, took America by storm when she became an adult film star and um, got out of that business a long time ago. Now she's basically like a social influencer and, um, you know, tries, she's, um, you know, doesn't really address much about her time in El Paso these days, but she, uh, you know, is uh, someone that that grew up, uh, spent part of her life here in El Paso. That's true. Maybe a professor from UTEP could call out and reach out to her and, and ask her to lobby for UTEP in the Mountain West or in the ACC. Maybe so. Just don't overvalue the uh, the figures when it comes to it. Right? Keep it. Yes. Keep it um, at least realistic. Yeah, so that that's right. Be, that I'm would with be you. good. All right. Thank you, JD. Uh, 18 past. We'll do a little fantasy uh, sports next with uh, Jeff Erickson right after Charlie won and this traffic update. Back on Sports Talk as we continue. Fantasy Focus Time with Jeff Erickson, Rotowire, rotowire.com. They've just dropped their college football preview. That's ridiculous in itself if you follow college football because they cover all of it, including UTEP. They don't uh, spare any expense. Isn't that right, Jeff? Yeah, you know, college fantasy football has been a thing for a long time. I actually started playing college fantasy football in the 90s, believe it or not. Um, I believe and it. Yeah, it was, it was this ground root thing. We didn't have the information at our fingertips like we did. Oh, it was an information game, knowing like who the top players were at, like you know the, the Boise States of the world. You know before that, that it was like everything was at our fingertips. It was really kind of wild. Uh, you know, you know, learning pretty quickly that uh, you wanted pieces of the June Jones offense in Hawaii. You know, I, I there's a lot of fun times with that. 
I don't have the bandwidth for it anymore, but uh, it was it was a lot of fun when I played it. Well, let's talk about what you guys do at RotoWire for college football fans that play in leagues. Sure, uh, we got a lot of different uh, things to help. You know, we got rankings, we got strategy articles, we got the the player news, we got information for you to do well in college fantasy football DFS if you're allowed to play that. Um, we've got a lot of different angles to help you do well. And, uh, it's a great sport. I mean, I, I don't love the administration of the sport right now. Uh, I, I hate these super conferences that are happening here, but, uh, you know, our coverage is great. You guys can check it all out. Rotowire.com slash free, get a free trial. Two days ago, Nick Grays had a college football fantasy five flying under the radar in the group of five for 2023. And he had his five, undervalued players and who was number four on the list tyron smith of utep how about that jeff you know you get a little love there for the miners i love it yep we sure do and by the way i agree tyron has a chance to have a pretty big year this year so good check that out folks that's from nick graves before i get to football we got plenty of football to talk about the uh the story right now in baseball for Wander Franco it just gets worse and worse and worse. I saw what happened before we brought you on today the latest developments um Jeff uh it's possible he never plays a game again. Uh and and we're talking about a 22-year-old that was having such a terrific breakthrough season, but if these reports are true uh, and we find out that there's a lot of validity to it um It'll probably be the first time. I was trying to think, when was the last time a kid in his early 20s who has an, uh, just an unlimited ceiling would have his entire career uh, grounded because of, so, of of something to this effect? I don't, has it ever happened before? I can't think of one. I mean, the closest parallel is uh, Trevor Bauer, maybe. Uh, but, you know, even that, I mean, it was – you know, we don't know if there was a string incident or not, but uh, that you know he he's still playing in Japan. But and 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 yeah, it's it just there's nothing good that can come out of this. No, I remember the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates reliever from a few years ago, the hard throwing lefty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, and the Giants had a prospect too that I think had a. Uh, you know, he he was involved in a violent incident in the Dominican, if I recall. Mm-hmm. But that was like twenty years ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, there, yeah the pirate, the pirates reliever. Now that you, I, his name escapes me right now. But yeah, that that that's more parallel to Franco. That's what I thought. Um, I thought his I thought he had like a, his last name was either Vasquez or something along those lines. So, but yeah, yeah it's uh, it, it, it's funny because. In, from a fantasy standpoint, before he got busted, he was always one of those guys that had tons of strikeouts and, and really good ratios and, 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 and some closes from time to time, I think. But then all of a sudden, that was the end of him, and uh, we never really you know, heard you know, any more about him after that. And now with Wander, you say to yourself, my God, I mean, you know, the year he's having, 22 years old, sky's the limit. And if these stories are true, it would be unbelievable that somebody like this could just throw their entire career and life away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it seems like this has been ongoing, too. It's mm-hmm. not like this is like one isolated incident either, which is even scarier. But I you know, hate not to, uh, com- to comment on the, the details of the case when we don't know, don't know all everything here. And I'll be honest, today, I've, I've been traveling today, so I'm a little bit behind on that news. I just saw that. 
you know, I, I just saw that, uh, you know, it's being investigated in the Dominican and uh, not great. Not great at all. Let's talk about another race story completely independent of Franco. That is uh, Shane McClanahan having Tommy yeah. John surgery. When was the last time a team that had so many good young arms lost, I think, three or four of them to Tommy John surgery in, in one season? Uh, I remember, like, the young gun Mets. Remember, like... Paul Wilson and Bill Pulsifer, I think Isringhausen, that era, I think yep. they lost three or four guys at once. Uh, that's about the last time I can remember someone, especially ones that were so highly thought of. You know, some teams have lost a string of pitchers, but not like the top of the, you know, top of the rotation. And remember, Glasgow's missed a significant amount of time, too. That's correct. And when you look at the rotation now, that the Rays have a pitcher uh, in addition to Glasnow. I mean, they did get Aaron uh, Savali. He's pitched well. Zach Eflin has been strong. But then uh, you're left with uh, Zach Littell, and really you don't have a fifth starter. So, I mean, they've tried to piece it together, and the fact that there's still 23 games over 500 is pretty remarkable, isn't it? It is. It is. And uh, I, I think that they might have trouble in the playoffs. Um, I think, you know, they, they fattened up on the weak part of the, you know, the lot, good part. You know, when they got that huge start, they were playing a lot of bad teams, too. That tended to help. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's a team that I don't – they can't be well-suited for the playoffs. I, I can't imagine them being – you know. but then again, how, you know, doubting the Rays has really not gotten you very far uh, when we've come to speculating in the past. Then again, I mean, I think it'll be a little bit different if they're playing, you know, say the Blue Jays or they're playing another one of the stronger wildcard teams. I think there's almost a – like. There's almost a race to the bottom. You want to be the sixth seed facing the Guardians or the Twins, whoever wins the AL, AL Central. Yeah, that's very true. And by the way, thank you, J.D., for letting us know Felipe Vasquez is who we were thinking yeah. about earlier from the Pirates. So we appreciate uh, the help with that one. Um, meanwhile, Josh Bell is on a little bit of a resurgence with the Marlins since this trade. It's like he's resurrected his season for at least a couple weeks. Yeah, um, good job of – I mean – I don't. I would say they bought low, but they. Did, I mean, they they bought. Uh, they they paid in a pretty decent prospect in Cleo Watson. Maybe he Watson was actually uh, stock was a little low at the time, but it was a good chance for them to improve their position. Where you know they the Marlins had gotten very little out of first base. And this is the bell that we thought the Guardians were getting. Um, so good job by them to kind of maybe take advantage of the perception that he lost it when it maybe it just had been a short shorter term slump. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I'm looking at some of the uh, the baseball stories, and I think what I'm interested the most in here as we head to the middle of August is soon enough we're going to see uh, young guys get called up, and I'm always looking forward to September call-ups. It's kind of fun when some of these rookies get a chance to make their debuts. It is. Uh, it's not the way it used to be because we used to have 40-man roster expansion, and it's not that it's not that full. Uh, and the other thing is teams actually are more inclined to call uh, prospects up than they used to in the past. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll still get some call-ups. We'll still see some debuts. It won't be like the wave of prospects that we used to see. The season Matt Olson is having for the Braves is historic right now. 43 home runs, 107 RBIs. He's batting two seventy six. Uh, he has just been an absolute fantasy monster. He has, and the funny thing is, early in the season, he struggled with runners in scoring position. He, especially like for the bases loaded, if I recall correctly, not lately. Not lately, he's been the RBI machine. That whole Braves lineup. I mean, you look at like Michael Harris 
yeah. down at, you know, is hitting like 290. Remember when people are you know, like hand wringing his season? Um, you look at, you know, a couple of the other, uh, a, a couple of the other uh, situations there, uh, where it, it's, you know, it, it's, you, you look at Orlando Arcia that's been productive. You look even now like Nicky Lopez, now that Albies is out, Nicky Lopez is being productive there. You know, it's like you join that Braves lineup and everybody is brought up along with you. Two other guys I want to bring up before we go to break and talk football with you. Uh, let's talk about the heater that Kyle Tucker is on and also how uh, Bobby Witt is really having a terrific uh, second season with KC. Yeah, uh, you know, Kyle Tucker, man, I, you know, he hit the home run yesterday. It was like he's got, such a, he's got that sweet left-handed swing where he doesn't even look like he's swinging hard and the ball goes to the upper deck. Uh, it, it's fun to watch. He had that, that against the Marlins yesterday. Um Bobby Wood Jr., I mean, he, he's a better fantasy player than he is real life because his on-base is still pretty low. But, man, fantasy-wise, he's, he's probably a top-five pick next year. Five, Somewhere between five to ten is my guess. More in a moment as we talk a little football with Jeff Erickson from Rotowire. But first, let's go right now to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We're back with uh, Jeff Erickson right now from Rotowire. Boy, they are loading up. Training camp notes every day. Fantasy football rankings, top 150 PPR draft ranks update came out today. Uh, best fantasy team names for your first round pick, that's up today. Futures bets up today. Waiver wire preseason pickups yesterday. Injury reports yesterday. I mean, there is you, you could spend hours on the website going through all this. Yeah, we hope so. We hope you want to. Uh, get you know if you, the, the more you want to study for your draft, we've got it for you. Uh, some people want to quit, cheat, cheat, and go, and that's available. But you know we got a lot of different ways to help you win your league. So uh, yeah, it's just of course I I, I, I uh, finished off the cheat sheet today from the plane this morning, and of course like six different guys got hurt right afterwards. So yeah, I have to do another one. Oh yeah, and there's and and luckily there's I mean there's some bad injuries. Some players lost for the season. Uh, in the case of like Traylon Broke uh, Burks, he was only out for a couple of weeks, which was good. But injuries, uh, you know, it makes it really difficult to try to gauge how guys are going to play since so many are being held out for that very reason. They don't want them to get hurt. Exactly, exactly right, and that's increasingly the trend. You know, people like to say you know find things that they can learn from preseason games, but frankly it's really difficult because a lot of teams don't play their starters their stars uh even prized rookies play but don't play a lot usually and they're they're not playing with all their top skill position players sometimes and the game plans are very vanilla too so you know you can gain some insights here and there and we do our best uh but i would caution not to overreact to a round of preseason games is calvin ridley just rocketing up everybody's list right now he sure is uh, you used to be able to get him in the fifth round. Now you're, I, I'm seeing him go at the two-three turn. Wow, uh, he, he's one of those helium guys. But here's the thing, Steve: before all the you know everything that happened with him, before the injury, before the suspension, before he you know had the mental health walk away thing, he was the guy who was going in the second round. This is where he was at one point in time. He was an alpha receiver, so it's not a total shocker that he's getting closer to that now. I think you know. I think there's some projection going on here. We don't really know what you know, we're hearing positive reports. We don't know what he really has left in the tank uh, and how quickly he's going to mesh with Trevor Lawrence. But 
we're all buying into the positive. The, as an industry, I feel like we're, we're buying into the positive reports on him. Who else uh, do you have right now in your helium uh, report that's really getting a, a lot of a lot of buzz? Well, I mean, obviously we're reacting to the Jets, right? Uh, the Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall situation. One day, like, oh, yeah, Dalvin Cook over Hall. You know, he's getting paid. Look at the money. And then, oh, he's not going to practice for a week. Oh, Brees Hall's off the pup list now. Uh, it, it's tough to discern that. So neither of them, I didn't directly answer your question here, but, you know, they're, they're very, like, on-topic guys, but they're not total helium guys. Uh, I think uh, – I think there's a lot of positive buzz for Anthony Richardson. I think he's a helium guy being named the starter for the Colts. People are in love with his running ability as a quarterback. I'm a little wary because I think the offense is not going to be great, especially if Taylor remains out. Um, I know he's with the team but not practicing right now. Um, but then just there's going to be growing pains. Richardson didn't even have a whole lot of college experience. I think year two is the year. I think that's the sweet spot for him. So unless you're in a keeper league, I think I'd be a little wary of him. Jeff, what about some of the other rookies over the weekend? Did you see their values uh, go up a little bit higher? C.J. Stroud had his first outing a lot. You know, you look at Bryce Young getting a chance to go at it for the first time. Any other rookies that really stood out to you? Uh, those two struggled a little bit. Um, Stroud had a pretty bad pick. Bryce Young was under pressure constantly. I think one of the big takeaways is that Carolina's offensive line is going to be a problem for him for a while there. So I'm a little, I, I, you know, I, but then again, you're not going to spend an early pick on either of those two QBs anyways. Um, trying to think of a rookie that stood out a little bit. Um, I think uh, a lot of people are in love with Deuce Vaughn, but I think you got to remember who he's doing it against for the most part. Tank Bigsby, the same thing for the Jags. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are, are wary of Travis Etienne because of Bigsby and I, I think basically we can play, but I, I think the hype might be a little more than warranted and the caution on ETN a little more than warranted. Who are your favorite buy lows right now? Who do you feel is like some great bargain bargain picks? My favorite one is Deontay Johnson. Uh, every, you know, he didn't score a touchdown last year. I think everyone's blowing that up out of proportion. I think that was a function of the quarterback instability for the Steelers last year, a poor offensive line for at least the first half, um, and just random chance, you know, uh, you know, I, I think more often than not, we see, oh, yeah, but he doesn't do well in the end zone. I don't think that's necessarily true. I get it that Pickens can roof a guy every once in a while and more better, more so than Johnson, but Johnson's the target hog. Those, those touchdowns are coming back. So he's a guy I like to go ahead and get at his current price still. We talked a little bit about what you've got right now at Rotowire for football fans. It's like that every day on, on pretty much every topic. You guys have it all covered. Any articles uh, you'd like to highlight for us here this week? Well, you mentioned my top 150. I, I tweeted it out, uh, if, uh, and people are trying. We're trying to get a lot of uh, you know, traction on that uh, for if you're in PPR leagues. But article-wise, I mean, I just like every day Jim tra- Jim Coventry's got his training camp notes, and I think there's lots of great nuggets that you can learn. Yeah, if you don't want to read through every single player update that we have, this is a really good summary. So I'd recommend that. I recommend a lot of our draft feature articles. Mario Puig has, a, has some best ball features that are really good if you're into that. Um, just whatever you're into, we have it. Uh, I invite you to check it out, rotowire.com slash free. Awesome stuff as always. Jeff, great job. We'll talk to you again right back here next week. Thanks for the time. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Jeff Erickson from Rotowire as we continue here on Sports Talk. 20 in front of six, back with more as we continue getting our ready, uh, getting us ready for the Chihuahuas. They're coming up 6.30. Tim Haggerty will join us in about 
35 minutes from Isotopes Park. Looking forward to that right here, 600 ESPN El Paso.